When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Fright School. Are you ready? Class is in session. Welcome back to Fright School. Hello, Joe. Hi, Joshua. Look at you. Look at her. She got to upgrade. She got to upgrade. Look at yeah. that house. I know. <laughs> In the words of Beyonce, let me upgrade ya. Upgrade uh, ya. <laughs> no, that's obviously the house from Once Bitten, but we'll get to that. How's your week going? Are you it's, priding? Are you proud? What have you done today? I'm to proud. Make you feel proud. I am. I fanned the flames of my faggotry. Actually, <laughs> yes. I did something really cool. So every year for the last few years, excluding like COVID times, I volunteer at my alma mater to read names for their like rainbow graduation. Oh, yeah, this, it's so really cool. all the queer children's. For the queer children's and their families and their chosen families. The future and, leg- legendary children. Of yes, course. all the future legendaries, as it were. <laughs> and what's interesting about that is like, I, the reason why I do it is because I was not out in college and I never went to Rainbow Grad, even though that was mm-hmm. something that like I was, I didn't know that I wanted at the time. And I felt like commencement was just a this season that we're in right now of commencement really brings like all those kinds of feelings up about like being nostalgic and ruminating right i think that's the right uh yeah. clinical term ruminating on it ruminating has is it a negative it thing <laughs> no you can ruminate but a lot, i think when we use ruminate sometimes like with eating disorders it's a certain behavior of chewing food but anyways that's something oh. else this oh. is that's we don't need to get into that <laughs> Okay. But you've been like ruminating in like the memories. Yes, now. exactly. I've like, been exploring like the that. memories. And this year, so my alma mater is UC San Diego. This year I volunteered again and I came back and it was so much fun. And the way when you read the names, I always feel like it's a celebration, right? Like it's a it's 60 graduates or this year it was 60 graduates and they're their friends and families and stuff. And it would happen to be in the new outdoor amphitheater that's there that seats like a thousand people. And it was like this whole big thing. And when you read the names, you read their name, you read their major, what their graduate, what their plans are after college, and like what their favorite memory of being on campus was, specifically like LGBT community related. And this one grad really made my day. Her name was Vivian. Uh, shout out to Vivian. And they were there every time, like right before they go on, me and the other reader, we like confirm with them how to pronounce their name. If there's anything in their little write up that is that we want clarification on or something like that. Yeah. And if we're running behind, we can cut some things. But Vivian was like, after graduation, Vivian plans to serve cunt all over California. <laughs> saw you post about that and it made me laugh so hard. And I looked at her and I was like, okay. I was like, I'm going to say this, but if I, if, and if I say this, you better go up there and you better serve, you better serve that kind. And she looked at me and was like, oh, and she like started. So I'm like, save it, girl, save it. Cause so I got up there and I was like, Vivian plans to serve cunt. That's delightful. And she's a, a lesbian person? Some or... sort of queer person. Okay. Of uh, queer experience. Of a person of queer experience. Yes. <laughs> I love that. People of the global majority, people of the queer experience. Yes. 
sometimes one of the diaspora. I love these sorts of words. (laughs) My favorite, my favorite thing that I've ever heard was also at UCSD when I worked there. I was at the intergenerational dialogues between like younger queer people and like the staff members who are older. And I started, I went there in my first year of working there. So I was still in like my 20s. I was like in my late 20s. And I'm like, I am, I'm closer to your ages. I don't know why I'm at the intergenerational dialogues. <laughs> but the coolest thing that I She's old. Heard. If you're old, if you're over 30, you're old. <laughs> Welcome to gay culture. That's gay culture. 101. Yes, is that she is old. But the coolest thing that I ever heard someone say when we were going around the room and it was like, introduce yourself, your pronouns, how you identify. And one student was like, I like identify as like gender apathetic. I don't really care. And I was the first time I'd ever heard that. And in my mind, I was like, damn, how cool that how cool is that to just be like, I like sincerely do not care. Yeah, I sometimes say like I'm gender ambivalent. Like mm-hmm. I do to play with gender and I like to do certain things that are like outside of what I'm expected to perform as gender. Uh, but I like gender apathy as well. I just think the struggle sometimes it's like when you're like, oh, I don't care what pronouns you use. Some people really do care. So it's like we have to be mm-hmm. careful of like how much apathy is not like also dismissive it's like a hard, like for me, at least I actually really like that. Cause I think that's the world we should be working towards. Like I don't have a particular feeling about how people present. Like you just are what you are. I think at my core, that is what I believe. But then you say that kind of thing in certain situations and people are like, I get beat up for my pronoun. And you're like, well, yeah, no, I know that's true. <laughs> but so I, I do, I respect that because that, I think that echoes my own experience. Like just sometimes I want to be more this or that, or, I don't know. Or the whole conversation is just crazy. Yeah. It's just, it's just such a strange thing that we're so hung up on, but that's social constructionism for you. Anyways, what other cool stuff? Did you see anybody that was like, like you really felt that was, that would have been me. Cause I see kids now because I'm not old, but because I'm older, there are certain things like I'm not going to necessarily do that young kids are doing that. I'm like, Oh, if I was like 18, 19 now, I would totally be dressed like that. Or would do this or like, they're really, there's, it's hard to be exactly explicit by what I mean, because it's not necessarily like drag, but that just the people wear really like big, like platform heels, shoes and stuff. I just think would be fun to walk around in that kind of thing. But my feet hurt too much for that. (laughs) Um, I don't have the body necessary to do the things I would necessarily wear. (laughs) No one was like serving a look like everyone. It was very... People were either very casual or they came in, like, their actual, like, cap and gown that they're going to wear. Oh, nice. There was one, like, Asian-looking, like, bigger Asian-looking grad that Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, this could be me. But, like, when I was reading their, because I ended up reading their name and I was reading their bio. And it was like, they plan to go into the entertainment field or work in makeup or whatever. And I was like, oh, yes. Not me in terms of makeup, but being a bigger person at the end of high, at the end of college, wanting to go into like entertainment. Like I think yeah. that I saw myself in that way, and they didn't really. They their look was like not a serve, but it was very like put together, and yeah. that's what I appreciated. Nice. I'm really glad that you got an opportunity to do that. It's cool to try to stay plugged in to the youth because we have to. We didn't have a lot of mentors growing up, and we lost a big generation of queer men, especially, but queer people in general. So it's cool that you're finding ways to connect and be that sort of mentor generation to to younger queer people because. We need it now more than ever. Yeah, they need it. (laughs) The the last thing I want to say is that their community speaker who is their outside keynote. Their name is Nikki Vangelisti. They're a filmmaker, doctoral student at UCSD. They did this beautiful, like, talking about, like, they did this whole thing about reading. And so talk, mm. brought in Dorian Corey and talked about Parrots is Burning, but talk about, like, how reading for queer people is fundamental. And here are the three ways in which we read. And so the first one was, like, you read as in a book and how... Like 
the slowing down of reading is you're able to over the course of reading like however many hundred pages of book you're able to internalize something and by reading janet mock's redefining realness they were able to like really sit with the fact that they were trans and mm -hmm. it was in that community of like basically i don't scroll you're not going to get all the information from a little youtube clip or whatever reading is very fundamental in that like how it builds that interiority and you can sit with the messages and then it talked about reading the room and so how like as queer people we're reading the room in terms of safety in terms of reading bodies that we are attracted to bodies that are reading our own bodies and how we fit into a space and how that's a queer safety thing that's very inherent to our experience and then the last one was like reading in terms of divination so like astrology tarot and having some sort of practice of a queer practice of connecting to things bigger than us that may be organized religion or not but that brings us all together as a way to it was really beautiful how they did all of how they connected that and were funny about it and it was just i was like trying i was like i was trying to be respectful because i was sitting in the front but i was like in my mind i'm like make mental notes about each of these points because they're it was something that like the youth were familiar with, but also were just, it was beautiful. That is so cool. I really appreciate that a lot. And what I made a note, like, yeah, a lesson in like really reading and how important it is and the safety issue. And do I agree? I go back and forth on like spirituality stuff, but just something that connects you to like cultural consciousness the cultural unconsciousness, collective unconsciousness that also provides in, like insight. So mm -hmm. like tarot is a great tool for developing our own insight and also connecting us to bigger archetypal stories that are yeah. very true for all humans. And that we're all just trying on the pale blue dot, <laughs> this little speck of dust in a sunbeam that we are, we're all trying to do our best hopefully yeah. and mm -hmm. trying to live and trying to survive so i yeah that's really beautiful i would love to read the text of that speech or i don't know if it was put somewhere online but man i'd love to i'd love to watch that i'll check i'll check for you yeah that'd be very cool just to see that the connection or or just let's get in touch with this person let's get, have them come on and talk to us <laughs> give us uh, a how, real lesson in reading how have you been <laughs> prideful <laughs> this week joshua i gave some woman an apoplectic fit just by walking around i don't know I, we went to see garbage last night with metric and uh, your outfit really, was so good by the way your look was a serve it was just yeah i don't know i've wore it a couple times before but it doesn't feel it doesn't feel necessarily because it's like lots of black and gray monochrome so it's not it doesn't really scream pride to me or anything like necessarily super queer except that it's like a dress <laughs> but i was also wearing big chunky doc martens and shredded jeans under it mm -hmm. so it, it was definitely a look it was a very me look very gothed out and I, but I, I wanted to bring it because it's Shirley Manson and she deserves our respect and bring a good outfit. But yeah, so it was Metric, who were awesome. I'd never seen them live before. They were really great. I'm going to have to follow them for sure. Noel Gallagher's High Flying Birds, who played the same song 13 times. I remain unconvinced that is not the truth. It's just <laughs> I'm not... Whatever. There were people there just to see him, though, you know, so, who were like in full, like they were having a good time. So great for them. And then they all left and there was like plenty of space to dance and watch garbage unencumbered by talking wow. people. So that was lovely. And so garbage like put on a great show. But yeah, as we were coming in, we were walking across the parking lot and I'm like hearing this screeching sound from half a you know, half the parking lot away and i'm not registering at all that this person is talking to me and it's just yes, batch, what, batch, yeah, fuck it, you fucking you better fucking work just, <laughs> i mean just going on and on and all kinds of different iterations of the same thing and jeffrey's like, i think she's talking to you <laughs> And so I look, look look over and I finally see where the noise is coming from because she's inside of a car with someone else just screaming and waving. And I was like, hi, she's yeah, it's you. It's like, okay, 
uh, it was, she was just having a moment and I was like, thank you, lady. <laughs> it's so odd. Yeah. And uh, uh, I blame drag white race. woman. Yeah. And yes. Yeah. But yeah, I definitely blame drag race for that. And uh, yeah. Hashtag pride. Uh, so yeah, I felt good. You know, and it was a cool outfit yeah. walking through the place. Lots of people were asking me about it because it has a big alien like xenomorph on the chest. It's all HR Giger print artwork. It's a beautiful piece. I just hang it up and look at it because it's really cool. But it did, yeah, as I was walking through, a lot of people were like, what? Is that a alien? Is that a, like trying to asking me to show them the dress and stuff? So it was a lot of fun. And my fan, I, I didn't know, I got a new Ouija board fan from Monster Posse, monsterposse.com. Ding. Yeah. So people were asking to see that too. Which then I didn't even really need. I danced a lot, but it was cold down in old Chula Vista and it was mm-hmm. raining. Mm-hmm. So we were close. We were only seven rows ish back from. So we were protected by the proscenium or whatever they call that kind of juts out over the stage. Sure. But I turned around, looked, it was like pouring rain. Like people were soaked. So walking back to the car was not fun in all of that because I had a leather jacket on or leather leather jacket on the dress the pants my boots my hat all my hair i was just like (laughs) soaked i'm like this is this is fun (laughs) two things one sometimes allyship feels like an assault (laughs) yeah (laughs) and i think that woman i i don't know if you believe in like litigating but i think you would have grounds Two. What do you do about positive heckling? Exactly. When we talk about, we have a, what's the racism that's good? The one that's the word. Oh, inclusionary. 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 Yeah. Racism. It's an inclusionary hate crime. It's just people think it's good. People think that, yes, inclusionary homophobia. Yes. This inclusionary assault on you. And the second thing is I'm at, so this evening as the day that we're recording this, I'm actually going to the Chula Vista Amphitheater for the first time since 2010, 20, oh, 2009, wow. and I'm seeing with my cousins, Janet Jackson. I know. I'm and really I, jealous. I'm, I'm sure you could probably, not that you're going to, but I'm I think I'm going to take a nap as soon as we're done recording these episodes because I did not sleep well last night. And I'm like, man, I cannot. I'm going to be like a zombie. Also, like... I have never done something like this with my cousins before. So we will see how fun it is. But I'm also like, I'm 34. I'm me and my younger sister are the youngest, like of our cousins. They're all they all got kids. And some of them are actual like card carrying senior citizens now, but they can still have a good time. And so we're we'll see what happens tonight. I assume I'm going to learn a lot of things about my family this evening. Oh, my gosh, she's playing 40 songs. Yeah. Sorry, I'm now I'm peeking at the uh, at the set list. I know I looked at, at the, the set, set list. list. There's like I'm ads. sure a lot of she loves a medley. She loves a remix. So I'm sure a lot of this kind of flows. But man, it's good. Man, I wonder if there if there are seats available. I don't know. We'll see. I might have to think about it. I'm going to go see a friend of ours read a play or present their a staged reading. So I'm not sure what time I'm going to get back home after that, but we'll yeah. see. Yeah. That would Take be really fun. The opening like, act like is ludicrous. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's, that sounds like a really gay old time. Yeah. And Janet, she's, I'm a huge Janet Jackson fan growing up. I probably don't, I probably don't talk about her that much either. I'm a fan of music. Hard yeah. to find somebody that I love, but I've got like all of her live movie, like concert films. I've got sets of her like videos. Yeah, she's just such an incredible performer, and that's a great set. Just like cursory glance at the forty songs on the list, I'm yeah. like, wow, I like like thirty of these. <laughs> yeah, I, like these I seriously doubt she'll do a full three minute, four minute song. It'll just be like maybe the bridge. <laughs> maybe she'll get to the bridge and then transition to something else. Yeah, I don't know. I wonder. I'm not seeing any the people who posted these set lists. She played from 8:50 to 10:35 the other night. So, yeah. That's... But can you do 40 songs in 2 hours? No. Not full. If you're going to do 40 songs and just get, just estimating that they're 3 to 4 minutes each. That's a I don't know. Who knows? If they're like 2 to 3 minute songs maybe. Sure. <laughs> but 
yeah, I wonder if these are like, I don't know. There's also quite a few remixes and interludes in here too. Yes. There's three different verbs together again. Anyways, all right. So this has now become a Janet Jackson Janet Jackson Stan account. This has now become a Janet Jackson Stan podcast, and we will be no longer talking about horror. <laughs> the next forty episodes will be each song that she plays tonight. Yes. <laughs> what do we? What would we call ourselves? We can't just call ourselves the Rhythm Nation. It has to be something else. Yeah, it'd have to uh, be something else. I don't know. I, I wasn't prepared to do a full treatment plan for this <laughs> imaginary podcast that we're we could creating. Be the pro- we could be the pleasure principals, but it's principal because we're fright school. <laughs> You're ready. You're like already <laughs> thinking like, yeah, let's get out of this. Let's. I'll do it with Matt. He's Matt's done. Matt did weird algorithm. <laughs> we'll do the pleasure principals. <laughs> How dare you? Then it has to be all three of us. All righty. We're going to take a quick break and we will be back to chat about 1985's Once Bitten. Ah, the smell of the video store. I love this place. Do you remember when you could just look at the walls of covers? We had to choose just by looking at the cover and reading the crappy synopsis. It was, you were leaving with one. And the only way to know what new movies were coming out is you actually had to watch the trailers instead of skipping them. Right, we didn't have the internet to look it up. We had one guy named Todd behind the counter that would (laughs) tell us what was good or not. And Todd strangely liked way too many romantic comedies. Yes, but you always knew when the boobies were coming because Todd made sure. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and remember all the awful CG we had to put up with in the mid-90s? We talk about that a lot, don't we? Join us on Analog Jones and the Temple Film, where we talk about VHS tapes. And we wax nostalgia like none other. All right. Welcome back. So today we are, man, we are wrapping up another Pride season, official Pride Month of June, although I think today is actually a July (laughs) episode, but that's okay, because we can stretch out Pride for as long as we want, okay? So just accept it, dear listener. But yeah, we are talking about 1985's Once Bitten, wrapping up our God Loves Fangs series here before we launch into even more queer cinema. We're just keeping it queer. Yeah. Keeping it queer on the show, like Joe. (laughs) <laughs> no idea. <laughs> Anyways, 1985, Once Bitten, we got Lauren Hutton. Legendary. Jim Carrey. Yeah, legend, legendary. Jim Carrey, also iconic before, though. This is like his third feature film. And it's the first one. It didn't even have a speaking line. Good for her making uh, this movie. Anyways, so it's about a high school student goes out on the town, gets seduced by a higher countess, as one does. We've all been here. Yeah, who needs to needs to drink his blood because he's a virgin, and uh, yeah, so she needs him to stay a virgin, of course, because he's a guy in an '80s movie. His biggest problem in the world is that he's trying to lose his virginity, mm-hmm. and a four hundred year old vampire is getting in the way of that. <laughs> is trying to facilitate it. It feels like in some ways. <laughs> It's so strange, but this is a fun wrap up. We've been serious. We talked about gay adoption in Interview with the Vampire. Gay adoption panic. (laughs) Gay adoption panic, exactly. We got into some heavy stuff with Dracula's daughter and tried to make sense of Vampiros Lesbos. So here we are with a film that's pretty straightforward. And this is like a nice Friday night popcorn movie. And I can't remember when we were talking about doing this. I feel like you brought this movie up and it was like, oh, Actually, that's not a that's actually not a bad idea. There's some good gay shit in there we can talk about. So <laughs> all about that good gay shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what Pride is all about. So, Joe, what did you think of Once Bitten? Uh, so the reason why I brought it up is because I actually I actually have I remember seeing bits and pieces of it during an HBO free weekend. And thinking, oh, this is, I remember very clearly, like, the seduction in the Hollywood bar 
with the phones and the ending scene and everything else in the middle is a blur. So I was like, okay, and let's rewatch it. Let's or let's let's let me watch it all the way through now as a, an adult. And the main reason why I like two main reasons why I was like, let's consider this as part of like our queer horror is the idea of just like a fabulous countess. <laughs> Yeah, and her like very coded queer manservant. We're gonna talk about because not even he's not even coded, which is fun. But go ahead. And yeah, and so I was like, okay, like I also, you know me, I occasionally will like love to suggest things to you just to see if you'll say yes, and you did. I count this (laughs) as a win. And yeah, but I loved it. I probably will watch this again. This is probably gonna go on a Halloween, a Halloween like watch. My God, is it like it doesn't hold up in a lot of in a very many things. Oh, oh yeah. like, so it's one yeah, of those where yeah. it's like we're going to we're going to dive into that for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but I would watch it again, if only just by myself. <laughs> I think it would be fun with a group of like gays that kind of would or queers that could heckle it and just vibe with some of the conversation that it's having. And also be able to make fun of it and think about where we've where we've been, where we've not gotten all that far from <laughs> and what we have, the progress we have made. Yeah. Yeah, shockingly, I know dear listener, you certainly are going to be shocked to hear this. There's not a lot of great analytical discourse out there <laughs> on once bitten. <laughs> Monsters in the Closet, there is one, there's one paragraph devoted to it. Wait, it made it into what? Monsters in the Closet? Yeah, Monsters in the Closet. Yeah, Homosexual in the Horror Film, Homosexuality in the Horror Film, Benshoff, Harry Benshoff. So when homosexuality is figured in these films, this is, which chapter is this? Satan Spawn and Out and Proud is what chapter this is from. In these films is more open. Ooh. When homosexuality is figured in these films in more open, obvious ways, it is usually done with derogatory stereotypes played for comedic effect. In Once Bitten, the beautiful female vampire seeks the blood of a virgin male. Pointedly, the vampire's manservant is a, this is there, I'm quoting, okay? Quotes, people. (laughs) Mincing black fag, (laughs) played by Cleavon Little. And the film is filled with jokes seemingly called from adolescent washrooms. Vampire apparently bites her victims while giving them a blowjob. There are also more than enough gags based on homosexual panic, homophobic counter encounter between our young protagonists and a transvestite in a Hollywood nightclub is played for laughs. Later on, an extended high school shower room sequence. Well, obviously, we're going to talk about that. Shower rooms appear rather frequent, frequently in 1980s horror films and teen sex comedies, but unlike the female locker room scene at the beginning of Brian De Palma's Carrie, which was used to illustrate Carrie's awakening sexual and paranormal powers, most of these erotically charged shower room scenes play on homosexual, on male homosexual panic. So that's, that's all they wrote, folks, about once bitten in any sort of educational academic text. But... There's still plenty to dive into here. There's on Dread Central, Once Bitten and Sebastian, the film's queer Renfield. There we go. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think you mentioned earlier that he's a Renfield type character. That's something I was confused about because she's, I think this film owes a lot to the hunger as well. It's that same sort of countess, like vampire who has a lover, but hers like die and wither away when this eternal space so instead hers are the ones that she's bitten they're like alive and just with her and it's are they vampires as well they don't seem to need the same thing that she does they're just in this like stasis of helping her yeah you know, like her know minions. yeah it, that that was strange to me but yeah i interesting thing is because they do think there's quite a lot of in this film that's obviously clearly very homophobic and very transphobic to some extent although again i'm not exactly sure how i how they were conceptualizing the trans or transvestite character in that scene Mm -hmm. whether it was supposed to really be a man who's just getting off dressing like in drag or if it's a trans person or a drag queen or what i'm not really sure what that story is sure but sebastian is it's interesting it's like his relationship with Lauren Hutton's character with the the countess 
it's the only like seemingly on the surface like healthy relationship in the movie they have obviously we can get into conversations about race thankfully they do not like a lot of vampire movies called dracula like master thankfully we don't have that here so at least there it feels like a certain equality between them in a way yes he's in a position of serving her but they go back and forth you know what i'm trying to say yeah. it just seems a little more balanced than i would expect from a film from 1985 yeah he has <laughs> agency in a way that like the Renfield character, the henchman, the the subservient person to the monster, to the vampire, doesn't usually have. And I yeah, thought she that's never seemed, really interesting. Yeah, she never seems like cruel to him or dismissive. Like she clearly depends on him. He's helping her do live, do everything. And he seems to also be not stuck or trapped in it. He like seems to enjoy their life together. He certainly enjoys her closet, which is how we know that he's an out character because they make a joke when he's like going through her closet. She's like, I'm out of the closet. Oh, I did that centuries ago. Mm-hmm. And he's wearing this beautiful <laughs> poncho of hers. <laughs> and that kind of happens several times in the movie. There are jokes about him being in the closet, but he's not really closeted, which I think is cool. So you have an empowered black queer figure in this film to kind of counteract mm-hmm. all of the other bad queer shit <laughs> that's also in this because it's an 80s sex comedy could we just, say you can't have it um could we say that the countess is his fang hag <laughs> <laughs> yes she's definitely a fang hag i she's love a, that she's his fang hag but there's a moment towards the end of the film during like the chase the like really gratuitously long chase sequence in the mansion right where he she lets go after him and she hold he sebastian holds the countess and says trust me we got him where we want him don't go we got him where we want him which i was like that is interesting that not only that but she trusts him and she's listening to him and he's doing everything that he can to make to make it happen yeah and even in the end when she's like rotting away he's still it's not an opportunity to run from her or an opportunity Mm -hmm. to be like ah i'm free it's we'll figure it out we'll find we'll move somewhere else we'll go somewhere else there's got to be virgins somewhere Mm -hmm. so yeah it's interesting it's just it's a very interesting almost just paradoxical character to the rest of the and, and again, maybe that was what they were thinking. Hey, we're going to have all these like fag jokes in here and mm-hmm. all these other things. So if we give this character more agency, <laughs> is this something that these writers were even thinking? Who wrote this actually? Screenplay by Jonathan Roberts, David Hines, Jeffrey Howes, directed by Howard Storm. Let's see. Jonathan Roberts co wrote The Lion King. <laughs> I wish I just saw that. James <laughs> and the Giant Peach, The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Uh, Monsters, Notre Dame. Inc. <laughs> wow. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, who knows what they were thinking? He doesn't, he has some agency, but of course, it's like he doesn't have a sexual, like a lover in the film. He is this, coming back to this Dread Central once bitten article. There's no comment on a lover past or present. Sebastian isn't given a chance to flirt with anyone in the film. Being the Renfield, he's not quite a vampire, stripping him of the sexuality the other vampires in the film exude. So again, it is still a very safe depiction of an okay kind of queer person. Like Jack McFarland or Will Will Truman back in the night, you know, in the 90s, early 2000s, where they're fun and we like them but there you know there's not a real sense of any deeper appreciation for them sure. as humans but yeah. existence right like yes he, neutered yeah he, even though he is supportive and is a trusted person he still has no agency and his whole purpose is to serve at the pleasure of the countess like it is very much yeah. like there is no main character energy from sebastian yeah, he's de- he certainly is a character. I love him like Tango or whatever he's doing in the beginning. Like the whole mm-hmm. film opens with him. He's the first character we meet doing his yeah. daily preparations to wake her up. And yeah, it's he's an it's just it's just, again, it just it's like this is so like strange. Again, we could really probably get deeper into it and take more things apart, but I just think in this <laughs> yeah, it's a it, this is like a quintessential 80s like sex comedy. So it's, I don't know, I'm, it's like grasping 
for the good things yeah. <laughs> within it as like a queer person to be like, Sebastian, if I'm going to be anybody in the film, like, any of the queer coded characters, like I want to be him because he seems to be. Yeah. And okay. can we talk a little bit about Cleavon Little who played <laughs> yeah. him? I researched him because like, why does that name sound familiar to me? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. He, he was the sheriff in Blazing Saddles, yeah. which is, oh, okay, that's where it started. But then he also won a Tony and was on all of these all of these like tv shows and things from at that time he also went to say he was raised in san diego and went to san diego state and performed in a raisin of the sun of the old globe like it's it was fascinating to see and i started thinking about it i was like man this guy has a fucking tony (laughs) like not less than 10 years prior to being in this movie he has a tony and he's there with Lauren Hutton. What is the version of what is like the version of that if we were to remake Once Bitten now? That would be like, you know, what like Lawrence Fishburne, some Tony winning black actor. <laughs> and I was thinking Charlize Theron. Like it's Charlize Theron. Is the <laughs> and then, which actually, funnily enough, Charlize Theron already has done a movie with David Ole, Ole, uh, David Oliwoyo. And I think that the two of them would be really great if we were to do a modern redoing of the of Once Bitten. But yeah, it was just it was so interesting to see. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's definitely a, an interesting choice when you look at like his list of credits. Ah, okay. <laughs> yeah. I love the at the end of this article. I've asked some of these questions about Sebastian's past, how he became the Countess's Renfield. Did they know each other before? Did he come out before or after gaining whatever immortality or whatever power mm. comes from her? Yeah. So can we either get a prequel of Once Bitten All About Sebastian or can we get, yeah, remake that further explores that that sort of those sort of answers because he deserves it. Mm-hmm. Um, so the other part, like I said earlier, this is very typical to me, feels very typical 80s like sex comedy. Like I used to love to watch like this i remember seeing a few times on television like mannequin mm-hmm. <laughs> those kinds of movies there's something very well where mannequin was set in philadelphia so not exactly the same but i was thinking about when where i was watching the early part of this movie like how you've talked about like new york on film this is one mm-hmm. of those movies like of hollywood on film like yeah. what does los angeles what does hollywood look like in the 80s to like middle america this is very much like them running around all these clubs it's, it's i wonder how true that was till 1984 yeah. 1985 hollywood what's it really yeah the woman i like, don't know the woman in like gold lemay or whatever dress she's wearing walking the lion <laughs> yeah. and but like also that thing about you went to hollywood you guys went to hollywood and it's girl like I've been to those like suburbs that are just outside of the city of Los Angeles and Hollywood and all of that. They're not, it's not that far away. It's not a stretch. Yeah, I think it's so strange because when I moved here to California and we like went to Los Angeles, we went to Hollywood, it's so tiny. It's not, it was totally not what I expected because of watching movies like this. (laughs) And I think it's probably the same thing about New York or other things where you go and you're like, oh, this is cool. Like, cool that we're here seeing these sort of iconic places or whatever, but it's not, it's not as huge as it feels it could be like on on television and also fucking malls in the 80s wow that's what i was thinking about with mannequin mm-hmm. like a lustra <laughs> when they're in the mall where she bites him for the second time in the dressing room mm-hmm. that mall is intense like all the neon and i'm just like wow i don't remember malls in the 80s but i remember going to some of them like in the early 90s like pennies or whatever those kinds of places were called jc pennies for some reason that's the only one I could think of. They were like boring beige places. So I don't remember a ton of like fun neon that should have been leftovers from the 80s, but I lived in Ohio, so maybe that's just too bad for me. I I love how this movie does turn a trope on its head. And, yeah. and it's one that we've talked about with Vampiros Lesbos and with Dracula's daughter. Where in this movie, it's the blonde, the older blonde woman who is trying to seduce the dark-haired, quote-unquote, beauty. And even the girlfriend, Robin, 
is like also someone with dark hair. So it's the polar opposite too. So like she's light hair, but in black and she, and in the dance sequence, like the countess yeah. is light hair with black and Robin is like dark hair and in white. And it turns it on its head a little bit, which I thought was, I don't think I would have picked that up had we not done the, this discussion with the first two films that we did in this little series. Yeah, that's actually a really very fair point, Joe. I was so distracted by the fact that there was a dance sequence in this that I'd forgotten about. <laughs> that I wrote down, I was like, oh, a dance sequence. Yay. <laughs> Anyways, but that's, yeah, that's a really good point because that is something that typically, maybe something had changed and suddenly the vampire of the 80s, because mm-hmm. you also look, I'm wearing my Lost Boy shirt today, which that I got... <laughs> It's such an odd story. I bought it in like a clearance sale and they Mm -hmm. sent it. They accidentally put the wrong label on it and sent it to Tennessee. And so I like send them a message like, hey, it looks like my package was sent to the wrong place because I get another one and have it resent. And they didn't have the sizes, they said. So they just canceled and refunded my order. And then this T-shirt showed up anyways. Hey, fun. Anyways, point is that like he, Kiefer Sutherland's character in that film is like bleach blonde. And Michael has dark hair Mm. as like the normie that they're seducing into their vampire club. So maybe something about the 80s, about like bleach blonde hair and glamour and sex and all of these Mm -hmm. sorts of things start to infuse the vampire with a different kind of power of lust and come over to this side of like fully embracing like hedonism whereas like the dark haired like pure girl in white just represents that kind of normalcy come back to the regular people so that's an interesting yeah that's a really interesting observation because i I think there's something there to explore in the context of other 80s like vampire movies where there's yeah where it's no longer about the european other now it's a different like the glamorous weirdos of the 80s that a lot of people came out, you know, moved to LA to start hair bands. And we're thinking about this time. That's like that. We're like the height of that glam rock kind of scene. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway, so some of the obvious problems with the movie we talked a little bit about. There's the trans panic. Again, these things are cyclical. We're all, we just seem to always be coming back to this. There's mm-hmm. the whole, was the shower scene, fag alert sequence where they're trying to see if he has been bitten on the thigh which is watching it i'm like this is like hilarious like why can't you just Mm -hmm. ask your or or, hey we think we're thinking there's something going on like vampire what i guess they don't really know aren't they looking for a sex they think it's a venereal disease that no they thought it was but robin said we're looking for two sores on his like inner thigh to confirm that it's vampirism can you just check and then this whole hilarity ensues but i read these two friends as gay like i read these oh, two yeah. friends <laughs> as the a- one is really trying to use this as an excuse to be gay he's just we're gay now we're yeah. homos i'm like okay good for you let's yeah. throw you a pride <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> welcome to the club here's your toaster yeah they are they're queer <laughs> At least the one, the dark-haired one. Ah, yeah. there we go. The dark-haired yeah. people are leading you to gayness now, not to vampire vampirism. Yeah. <laughs> but it's too, like, in them, this is really an overreach, so please bear with me. But, like, in those two friends, Russ and Jamie, like, they represent, like, two sides of budding homosexuality. One that is, like, mm. really, really sex craving and horny all the time and the other one that's like cripplingly insecure and anxious (laughs) (laughs) they could make a great couple together yes (laughs) i'll balance some of that out also i'm looking sorry i'm looking at the cast list and apparently megan mullally is in this movie (laughs) i was looking for her too as suzette but i don't remember ever seeing her yeah I don't know if I looked down for a second and it's one of those things where much like with Jim Carrey, he wasn't like a huge star yet, but because of it's the Jack later fan of it all is what we'll call. Yeah. When we watched little shop. Yeah. Oh, is she the, it looks like she's the person that was signing them into the dance. Oh, 
Wow. Oh, I have to take a look at that. Yeah, I'm going to have to rewatch that because... Oh, yeah, here's her part. In, uh, it's on YouTube. Wow. That does not... I did not register that was her at all. Now that I look, I'm like, oh, yeah, of course that's her. But she's wearing like a blonde curly wig and I don't know. She doesn't look like herself. But yeah. Wow. That's crazy. I love it. Another unexpected little cameo in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Cameo <laughs> before she's things. even somebody. Right. Way before, I guess. I don't, I don't know much about Megan Mullally's career before old. Mm-hmm. She'd her, been in Risky Business as a call girl. And yeah. then she did. This was her second movie. Her oeuvre. So, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> I love the Life Sucks license plate. That made me laugh. On their, the vampires thing. Their car. <laughs> That's what it's called. <laughs> Sorry, I'm like looking down at my notes. Oh, and of course we have the wise like minority. You always had a figure. I don't know if he was supposed to be like Indian or something, but who tells her like, oh, I have the book. Yeah, whatever that was, I was not here for it. And I tuned out. I'm like, nope, can't do this. This is a little too short circuit with Fisher Stevens. (laughs) Brown face. Short circuit. I haven't seen that movie in a century. Wow, that just brought back crazy memories joe oh my gosh Uh, i'm gonna have to find that movie now but yeah that's again it's just so typical of vampire movies to have some sort of foreign agent who will explain everything and has a book for you all about it (laughs) yeah i don't know again this was a fun way to wrap up this month of pride and Queer Vampires, A Redundancy, an exhaustively researched thesis by Joseph yeah. Farron. <laughs> so, hold on. I need to go back to the shower scene because... Oh, of course. I'm sure you do. Uh, yeah. I, it reminded me... A, it was like... It was a little too female gazy, right? Like for a mm. movie that's supposed to be the sex comedy about from the standpoint of... From Mark's Mark's standpoint, that's his name, right? Mark, yeah, Mark's standpoint. Yeah, yeah, Jim Jim Carrey's character, yeah. And it was so interesting to have this very long shower scene where they're like going his undercarriage, and I was like, this is interesting. Just the fact that they like did this, and you know, whoever. I don't know if anybody thought that it would be like have a queer reading at the time, but. The, I think only to, to make a, a homophobic joke. Yeah. They knew. I think they were obviously yeah. trying to like think that it was funny. Yeah. But there's also, you got to love it because there's a little bit of power in the fact that, what do they say? Fags in the shower, fags in the shower. They say that and they run away, but no one is beating them up. You know what I mean? They don't, right. they're, like, yeah. they literally fear them. Yeah. And I was, again, overreaching, overcomplicating it. But there's a, there's an interesting power in that. Where it's, oh, you want, you're going to say fags in the shower, but there's three of them and there's more people who ran out. And now they're just like, they sit outside the shower and then they're watching them. What the fuck? Yeah. yeah. If you were in a film where there's like vampires running around. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, it's definitely, it's a strange scene. But yeah, I was struck by the one guy, he gets down on his knees to grab the soap and he like arches his back in a way. It's like a very strange. I was just like, what is going on right now? Like, is We've that necessary? We've all seen that arch. <laughs> yeah, it was very. Yeah, that that was very explicit in a way that I did not expect. I was just like, okay, man, there you go. That's what you're doing. I can't remember which one it was. was what were their names? Russ and... Jamie, or was that them? Yeah, Russ and Jamie. Yeah. Yeah. About, yeah. Anyways, cute butts. There we go. Is that what is that what this movie is really about? Wraps it up. <laughs> yes, cute butts. That's what pride is about for us. So there we go. <laughs> what would your coffin look 80s. like? You know how everyone had their coffin more for the like generation that they were a part of. Yeah. But what would your like? Amusing. I love their vampires, right? Confederate vampire. World War yeah. One ace vampire, Maul Flanders vampire. Maul Flanders, yes. <laughs> I don't know. I think I would want like a really nice 
black and silver, lots of good, pretty inlays, maybe yes. some carvings. Yeah, yours is going to be. Yeah, I want it to be really expensive and nice, real nice lining. Maybe something made of stone. That could be cool. That it's really heavy to carry around, make my minions carry. <laughs> no, this would be if you were like the Countess's minion. So, you know, oh, you're going to get a no. particle board and you're going to be fine with it. Yeah, I'm going to be in. I'm just every night I wrap myself in like a muslin shroud, <laughs> just <laughs> lay in a corner, a mushroom suit. <laughs> That's muslin shroud, just to repeat myself. Yes. <laughs> just something biodegradable, I guess. <laughs> Good. I will make sure that I'll refer back to this episode when you pass. So that yes, way we, we know that this is what you want for your... Yeah, wherever I fall in the house, just throw <laughs> the shroud over me and leave me there. I was going to say when you pass... I fully like... destify. <laughs> you destify? <laughs> I was going to say more of, you know, when you pass, you know, the night that you receive the dark gift. Uh, There we go. We'll see. I guess that depends on how much money I have and if I can afford a nice coffin and some Transylvanian dirt. (laughs) (laughs) All righty. Listen, happy Pride, y'all. I hope it was a good month if you celebrate, however you celebrate Pride. (laughs) I hope it was... A fun month and that you didn't party too hard. I heard, I've already heard of a few incidents, friends getting a little too wasted, tipsy, fied. Hey, it's pride. You're just you're having a good time celebrating all things queer, all things homosexual. <laughs> I love it. I love celebrating this month so much that I'm making you do it again. I know this is true, but at least just to just to put the dot on the on the actual official Pride Month celebrations. Yeah. So, alrighty, Joe, I'm glad you suggested this. I hadn't watched it in a long time, and it was so silly and fun. Despite, yeah, there's a lot of garbage in it. Of just, it's a product of its time, so to speak. Yeah. But it was still just fun to watch, and yeah, I would totally watch this again as like a Friday night movie with friends. This Fright Night, Lost boys i think mixing all those up like a homoerotic vampire night would be really fun and i hope you'll come yeah all righty good night fright school is produced by joshua napier and joe farron our intro was edited by davy boy productions our logo was designed by Jamie Channel Guzman. Episodes are edited and engineered by Joe Farron. Fright School is produced in terrifyingly beautiful San Diego, California. listening to the Geekscape Network.